This week, a mighty tortara has fallen. We look back at the life of the country's first openly transgender mayor and MP, Georgina Bayer. And the Dargaville community's reaction to a meeting opposing co-governance and the Tiriti or Waitangi. Our top story. The country's first openly transgender mayor and MP Georgina Bayer is being remembered as a fearless fighter for rainbow rights whose love and compassion will live on forever. Bayer, who hails from Tiatiawa, Ngati Mutunga, Ngati Raukawa and Ngati Paro, died on Monday at Mary Potter Hospice after a long illness. She was 65. Here's a snippet of Georgina Bayer speaking at the third reading of the prostitution reform bill, one of many things she fought for. This bill, sir, provides people like me at that time with some form of redress for the brutalisation that may happen in a situation when you are with a client and you have a knife pulled on you. And while the horror of that situation at the time is one of life and death, you don't know, it would have been nice to have known that instead of having to deal out the justice myself afterwards to that person, I may have been able to approach the authorities, the police in this case, and say, I was raped! And yes, I'm a prostitute, and no, it was not right that I should have been raped because I said no! and it wasn't paid attention to. Her election as mayor of Carterton in 1995 and then later as an MP attracted worldwide attention. The Carterton District Council flew its flag at half-mast on Tuesday in honour of its former mayor. Here's my report on her colourful life. Georgina Bayer dressed in female clothing from a young age and after leaving school moved into the transgender scene in Wellington. She was a stripper, sex worker, drag queen star and actor. In the late 1980s, she moved to Wairarapa to escape what she called the tedium of her glitzy glam city life. She turned her attention to local politics and was elected to the Carterton District Council in 1993. Whatever skills, transferable skills I had picked up in my sex industry life and my, um, light, you know, my entertainment life and theatre and film and television, etc., are perfectly transferable skills in many ways to a political career. But it didn't come without its challenges. A whole lot of, you know, oh, would they necessarily, would she understand, you know, how things work or would I be well behaved and behave appropriately at right times to... All sorts of, sort of, you feel it, you know, from people when you meet them. You can sort of get the sense of, oh. Two years later, she ran for mayor, winning in a landslide victory and was re-elected in 1998. Annie Goldson, who made the biographical film Georgie Girl in 2001, says it was fascinating that a transgender person could capture the hearts and minds of conservative rural community. A lot of people said it didn't matter to them, but I do feel there's one um, person in the documentary, Chris, who does say... In some sense, that's what makes Georgina so brilliant, the mm. fact that she has had this background, it is who she is, and it, you know, it makes her more exciting, and that's something to be enjoyed. Georgina Bayer moved into national politics in 1999, winning the up a seat for Labour and enjoying the biggest voter swing in the country. A stalwart for her community, the MP wasn't afraid to stand up to Destiny Church during the Enough is Enough rally over the Civil Union Bill in 2004. Your hatred is totally intolerable. 
Jesus loves you. How dare you Jesus use the cloak of Christianity when you are imparting to your children prejudice, discrimination toward people like me, gays and lesbians, and other people who live differently, but abide the law and pay their taxes. From 2005, she was a list MP before retiring from Parliament two years later. In a valedictory speech, she talked about what she had achieved. My achievements in local government had been historic internationally as the world's first transsexual to have been elected as a mayor. It was then followed up by a tremendous amount of support in my election into Parliament, which was also historic on the same scale. I am very pleased and proud to say that I am now no longer the only transsexual in the world to serve in a Parliament. And she ended the speech with her trademark sense of humour. This was the stallion that became a gelding and then a mayor, and now, Mr Speaker, as it was at the time, I found myself to be a member. <laughs> well, Madam Speaker, can I say to you at this point that while I have relished the opportunity at being a member in this House, I am glad I don't possess one. She was diagnosed with chronic kidney disease in 2013 and required daily dialysis, but that didn't stop her from having another crack at politics, joining the Mana Party in making an unsuccessful bid for the Te Tai Tonga electorate. In 2020, she was made a member of the New Zealand Order of Merit for her services to the rainbow community. Last year, she returned to Parliament 18 years after the Enough is Enough march, staring down Destiny Church once again, this time over an anti-vaccination protest. And so now I'm conveniently here to welcome them back and to let them know I'm disapproving personally of uh, what they're standing for at the moment. Georgina Bayer died peacefully at Mary Potter Hospice surrounded by her nearest and dearest. Friends say she accepted what was happening and was cracking jokes and had a twinkle in her eye right till her final moments. Moi maira i te rangatira. Police had to break up arguments and ask people to leave when protesters turned up to a Dargaville meeting organised by co-governance opponents on Thursday. Organiser and evangelist Julian Batchelor tried to give a one-hour talk, also opposing Māori MPs Te Tiriti o Waitangi and iwi organisations, but he was mostly drowned out by those who turned up to say he was wrong. Sam Ollie was there. About 150 people packed into the Kaipara Community Hall Half of them had come to stick up for Māoridom, and they made that clear from the moment they walked through the door. Many didn't like what Julian Batchelor had to say. To investigate the trail of Treaty of Waitangi fraud and corruption. The interruptions coming thick and fast as he spoke his views of the treaty and co-governance. Co-governance? Does it teach co-governance Article 2? No, it does not. It's an impossible interpretation. Does it teach partnership? No, it does not. It's an impossible interpretation. Now we go to the final, now we go to the final article of the Treaty of Waitangi. There's only three articles. The talk is part of an anti-co-governance roadshow touring the country. Tangata Whenua, who turned up, have also challenged Kaipara Mayor Craig Jepson and his opposition to karakia in council meetings, among them Jamie Gray. Furious, frankly. I can't believe that in this day and age, in this modern, modern society that we live in, that there's still attitudes like this. And Kaipara Māori Ward Councillor Pera Paniora. 
I think it's just utter blatant racism. I'm going to call it for what it is. Um, we're not going to tolerate it in our community. And allies. I've got one question. Yeah, go on. You're only allowed one. Have you always been a racist idiot? Three police officers kept a close eye on things, eventually stepping in to break up arguments. Julian Batchelor told the crowd they reminded him of his high school teaching days dealing with unruly teenagers. When his critics tried to speak, Julian Batchelor eventually turned off their mic. Police then asked people to leave. Organisers ended the night hurriedly trying to sell and distribute books, calling the Treaty of Waitangi a con. You're listening to Te Waunui, a wrap of the week from our Māori news team here on RNZ National. Ko Ashley McCall People in a remote east coast town are growing worried as winter nears, with dozens of whānau living in cyclone-damaged homes. Uawa, or Tolaga Bay, was hit by cyclone hail and Gabriel. It's also dealing with mountains of slash that rush down waterways every time it rains. Here's Jamie Tahana from Uawa, Tolaga Bay. The beach here is meant to be sandy, but from white cliff to white cliff, it's slash as far as the eye can see. It destroys bridges, dams rivers and sends water, silt and logs ramming through homes. All around Uawa, houses are condemned and people still scraping away silt. Local Jasmine Leach says after the sixth storm in a year, people are fed up. Oh my gosh, how much more can we take? The slash has been huge. The impact of that has changed the course of rivers, has changed changed how people do things, they've cut people off. So I guess there's a sense of hopelessness. Eh? What next? What more can we take? Every time it rains here, people get anxious. One evacuated resident, who asked not to be recorded, says she turns on music every time it rains. Her eyes locked on the river. Her home in Mangatuna flooded in January, and then again in February. Jamie Kernahan, who's helping to pack hundreds of kai packs at the Hawata Clinic, says people are on edge. You know, winter's coming around quickly. You know, every day's a worry. I don't think any of us looking like looking at the weather map um, or watching the weatherman um, because it's scary. It's scary to think that you know it's just happened over and over again. Three weeks on, and this village is reconnected to Gisborne, but the highway north will be cut off for weeks. Drains are still blocked with silt. Residents say lakes form in just a light shower. And now there's concerns about the future, with many living in water-damaged homes. Tātai Kutia, who lives in nearby Whangara, says Gabrielle has killed off a lot of jobs. There's no mahi. They've still got to feed their family. You know, They've still got to pay the bills. What's going to happen? It's already been a month. What happens? Six-month mark, 12-month mark. How do they pay their bills? How do they feed their whānau? What does that look like? But Jasmine Leach, who whakapapas to the local te Aitanga Ahauiti, says there's a determination to stay. 
She says Hapu and Marai need to be empowered to stand up their own response, but also to develop a future here. It's easy to say that, to say, oh, well, you just need to move. Well, actually, this is where our peto is, eh? this is where my whakapapa is to the whenua. So there's a whole tikanga or there's a whole cultural framework that is probably left out sometimes. All around town, there are posters reading Save the Whenua, Save the Moana, Stop Slash. The government's announced an inquiry and promised to support the East Coast with the rebuild. Tatai Kutia says he'll wait and see. I mean, they've all been through here and done their visits and indicated that it helps on its way, but nobody knows what exactly that looks like or when exactly that's going to come. So in the meantime, life's still got to carry on. We've still got to get on with things. Because if we sit and wait, it might not never come. There's also a level of cynicism. It's tough to participate in a rapid inquiry when you're trying to salvage your home. A report released this week has found more Māori leadership in the health system will be needed to support Māori patients in cancer care. The report, Rongohia Tereo Whatua He Oranga, is the result of a series of 13 hui with Māori across the country, where more than 2,500 Māori shared their experiences with the cancer system. Pōkere Paiwai spoke with the Acting Equity Director at the Cancer Control Agency, Sasha Webb, about the report. We've grouped the findings of the report um, under the four outcomes of the New Zealand Cancer Action Plan. So that talks about um, the the system, um, equitable cancer outcomes, cancer prevention and cancer survival and end-of-life care. So I guess um, what, what we heard was um, some really powerful themes from our whānau about things like Māori cancer sh- uh, leadership being needed at every level, um, support being needed both for the Māori cancer workforce and the non-Māori cancer workforce. Um, they want to see their information needs being addressed. And then also things like holistic care being needed for both patients and whānau. So there were about 30 themes that, that we were able to gather through um, this HUI series. Mm, and through the HUI, what, um, what were some of the, I guess, specific things or some of the negative experiences that Fano have told your team that they've had during their cancer care or with the health system? So many Fano struggled to navigate the, the health system um, through their cancer diagnosis and then on into their treatment. Um, others shared stories of how they feel like the current system isn't designed for Māori um, or they feel unable to trust in the health system. Uh, and then others talked about how things like the diagnosis process, to them it feels like it can be unnecessarily traumatic. What were some of their um, some of their their suggestions, some of their ideas about how could they make this uh, more accessible to, to Māori? Fano talked a lot about their aspirations for change in this space and I guess it's important to kind of note that this Hui series took place just before the reforms were um, announced to the health system. So uh, a lot of the things that 
um, Fano talked about we're, we're seeing come to reality now. So having a greater presence in in shared decision making and co-design um, was something that Fano talked about. Um, being able to uh, look at prevention holistically, um, ensuring that data and information is captured and 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 looked after in a way that suits both patients, Fano and the clinicians, so that they can make good decisions together. Um, and then also things like looking at, at how we how we prevent um, or how we work with our whānau and, and our kaupapa Māori service providers to prevent um, cancers from occurring in the first place. This was a really powerful hui series um, for us as an agency and it enabled us to really connect with whānau up and down the motu to hear their stories and under, better understand their lived experiences um, and that's going to help drive our work, um, both for our organisation and we hope for other organisations across the health system. That was Acting Equity Director at the Cancer Control Agency, Sasha Webb. Atikaraka Marae has begun restoring some of the most unique examples of Māori weaving severely damaged by Cyclone Gabriel. The Whaariki were at Rangatira Marae, which was destroyed when floods swept through the town. But the restoration is happening as Fano confront the difficult question of whether to relocate their marae. Jamie Tahana reports from Tikaraka. With the delicate swirl of the brush under the trickle of a hose, the silt finally gives way. Stroke by stroke, the caked-on mud slowly crumbles, once again revealing the pattern beneath. Here, Fano work to restore the taonga they saved from Rangatira Marae. They're delicately cleaning eight precious whāreki, all nearly a hundred years old. They're helped by one of the country's leading conservators, Rangitua Tahi Te Kanoa. These that remain here were in the Farinui. The waters came in there up to three metres high and then there was the silt. And then because we couldn't get access into them, then mould grew. Cyclone Gabrielle devastated Rangatira Marae along with much of Takaraka. Fitioa Ropitini says waters spilt over the stop bank, washing away a shipping container and ablution blocks. The Farinui still sits buried in silt. Let's put it this way, it was an experience, and an experience I wouldn't wish upon anybody else, you know, the fear that comes. Almost three weeks on from that terrifying Tuesday night, Te Karaka is a landscape scarred. The Waipoa River still runs a murky brown, the roads still a dusty beige. Cars sit abandoned where nature dumped them. Many houses sit broken and condemned. I make note of um, politicians saying um, community strength, community strength. Well, reality is community strength is now running on E. And the whānau of Rangatira Marae, like many Marae around here, are having confronting conversations. The Farenui Te Whakahau, opened in 1926, its name given by Te Koti. But the site is where Ngāti Wahia have lived for generations as mana whenua, and it's where their tipuna lie. But now they're having to contemplate a move, and it's a complex and deeply troubling question. 
what suitable land is there left to relocate to. It's hard yakka to bite, which means we then have to disattach ourselves from a Tūranga Waiwai that was gifted to possibly a now a Tūranga Waiwai we have to buy. And I'm talking about leaving a whenua that was gifted to move to a whenua that we have to purchase. And so do we call that Tūranga Waiwai? Do we call that Tukuiho? But in the meantime, they're preserving taonga they can carry, whatever decision is made. Beneath a veranda at another nearby midai, tapui hikitia, the whariki dry out on specially built racks. Mould is treated, and then with a brush and vacuum cleaner, silt is chiselled off. Then it's time for a wash. They're helped by Eloise Wallace, the director of Taira Fiti Museum. We're down in the fine detail of the weave, doing different things very carefully, brushing that you have to be quite vigorous, brushing the mould out, flicking the individual little bits of silt out of the weave, looking really closely through our magnifying glass, trying to understand um, what's happened there. Rangitua Tahita Kanoa says they're determined to strengthen their place in this land. Becoming so much closer to the raranga, to the patterns, the narratives, and their whakapapa, and their identity. Well, we can't, we can't find the words to describe their, their suffering. But their identity can be found, and they can hold on to that. Then the whāriki can move with them, whatever the future may hold. to Waunui e Wiki. That's to Waunui for this week. You can find all our Māori news stories on our website, rnz.co.nz, under the Te Ao Māori section. Thanks for joining us. Ko Ashley McCall tēnei, noho ora mai, tēnā katoa.